Hello and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 132 of the Imagineer Podcast. In this podcast episode, we're going to kick off a two-part discussion all about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. This is the brand new two-night immersive adventure, the first of its kind, that opened at Walt Disney World in March of 2022. And long before it even opened its doors, there has been so much chatter among Disney fan communities about this experience. A lot of hot debate about whether or not this experience is worth the price, who it's for, who it's not for, what's included, what's not included. There are so many questions and so many ideas that are discussed that I thought it was worth coming to the table to chat with two people who actually experienced it. So my guests on this two-part episode are Steph and Danny Schuster from WDW Magazine. I've shared before that they are a partner and sponsor of Imagineer Podcast, and I'm an author for WDW Magazine. Be sure to check them out. But I not only brought them on because of our relationship and partnership, but also because Steph and Danny are lifelong Star Wars fans who not only participated in the media preview, but also invested their own dollars, their own time to do the full two-night adventure as regular guests aboard Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. In this two-part discussion, we talk about everything, and well, I should say not exactly everything, but we talk in great detail about their experience aboard the Halcyon to really help you to make an informed decision in a very rational way as to whether or not this experience is worth it for you. We talk in part one about the booking process. We talk a little bit about the media preview. We talk about the arrival and pre-arrival experience. We talk about day one, and we talk about the dining options aboard Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. We'll come back later next week in part two and chat more about the storytelling elements and the characters, the merchandise, the off-planet adventure to Batuu and Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and wrap things up by discussing really who should consider taking this adventure aboard the Halcyon and who is best fit for this two-night adventure and maybe who it's not for. You know, who should consider instead maybe just taking a regular vacation to Walt Disney World. We have a very candid discussion about all these elements, and I think you'll find it incredibly informative and very helpful in learning more about this experience. I will just warn you now, there are spoilers. We do talk about some things in detail, so if you want to go into this adventure without any idea as to to what to expect. This might not be the right podcast episode for you, but that being said, we do not discuss everything in detail or else this would have probably been a six hour discussion. So we just talk about the highlights and the main things to consider. So if you're just wanting to get a bit of a taste for some of the specifics aboard Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, this is definitely the episode for you. The end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So, grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Earlier this year, we had the opening of Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, which those of you who've been paying attention notice is an entirely different type of experience at Walt Disney World. You have a two-night adventure, fully immersive. We're going to talk about the idea of immersion, of course, in this episode, and it truly transports you into the world of Star Wars. Personally, because of the timing of my life with Maggie being born, I did not or have not at this point 
gone to even Walt Disney World since Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser opened. But because of the timing of this, I did want to make sure to bring on a couple of guests who did get the opportunity to experience Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser in person to give you an idea of what it's like. And if you do plan to at some point consider participating in this adventure, help you to best prepare for and plan out and figure out if it is right for you and your family. So without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce our special guests for today who are Stephanie and Danny Schuster from WDW Magazine. I've spoken about WDW Magazine a lot because I'm an author for them. They're a sponsor of the show. We're such great partners together. So Stephanie and Danny, for the first time, Welcome to Imagine Your Podcast. Thank you so much for having us, Matthew. We're really excited to be here. Yeah, we love talking about Star Cruiser, and uh, we're so excited to share it with your audience. I can't wait. I have so many questions. I know I've seen a lot of footage online of YouTube vloggers who've gone and participated in it, either just the media preview or have done the full adventure themselves. You had the unique opportunity of participating in a a sort of condensed version of the media preview and also yourselves doing the full experience uh, sort of on your own dime, um, just as as guests going and participating in this adventure. So we're going to talk a little bit about each of them. But to start out, I always love for my new guests to ask rapid fire questions. And normally I'll ask about favorite park and favorite movie, but this is a Star Wars episode. It's being posted. If you're watching it live or listening live, the day it comes out, it we're just past Star Wars Day, May 4th. So I, of course, had to reframe these with some Star Wars-focused questions. Um, So I want to start out with your favorite Star Wars movie. I'll let either of you go first. Return of the Jedi? Definitely as a child, Return of the Jedi was the one, like, I probably wore that VHS tape out. Um, As an adult, uh, I really liked Rogue One. Mm. I, uh, so uh, both great answers. There's really no wrong answer. Maybe Attack of the Clones. No, that's that's still a good movie too. The Rogue One. I remember seeing that in theaters, and it was the first non-Star Wars saga movie. And even the intro was different. The music was different. It's not John Williams, but it's so good. Um, it, is. it really captured a different tone, I think, than the classic yeah. Star Wars movie. The cinematography was great. It really felt. Uh, more ground level, like mixed in with the individuals, you know, who are part of this bigger saga. Yeah, I agree. It was so good. And of course, Return of the Jedi is a classic. Like as a child, I definitely, you know, if I was ever homesick or whatever, like it was Return of the Jedi on a loop all day long. (laughs) Like, yeah, definitely. Fair enough. How about your favorite Star Wars character? I'm very fond of the droids mm. in general. Uh, specifically, I really like BB-8. I was going to yeah. say BB-8 also. I love that. You know, he's one of the, of course, newer characters from the Disney Star Wars trilogy, yeah. the episode 7, 8, and 9. I also really love BB-8. I actually have the, when they first came out with, I forgot which brand, the the mini BB-8 droid that you can use your... Yes, the Sphero <laughs> one. Um I haven't I haven't played around with them in a while, but even just it was a birthday gift for me, and it was uh, such a fun gift. I love BB-8. That's a great. I don't answer. know if you ever tried this feature, but that droid has a watch with me function uh, where you can turn it on and sync it up with the movie, uh, like with Episode Seven. And yes. He- he reacts and makes noises and that was super fun. I did that once and it was so much fun. I have to admit. And, uh, I haven't, uh, now I really want to go and watch force awakens and bring (laughs) power up BB eight, charge him up and have him watch the movie with me. Um, all right. Few more questions. Uh, last one related to the movies and specifically, um, your favorite star Wars planet. This is getting a little more geeky. I really always loved Hoth. Um, I don't know why. I'm not even a winter person. I'm not a snow person. Um, and Empire is not my, it's not my worst Star Wars, but it's not my favorite Star Wars. But I always love that idea of them being in like parkas and there being like tauntauns. And I don't know. I think the outfits did it for me. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I guess it's a moon, not a planet, but I'm going to say Endor, again, just from that childhood love of Return of the Jedi. 
That's great. And I should specify either one of those would be fine. I've always wanted on Star Tours, then in the old version of Star Tours, mm-hmm. when they advertised for going to Hoth, yeah. would have been nice if we went to Hoth. But hey, now with the adventure continues, there's a lot more places that you could go and visit. Um, all right. So, so two more questions. These are a little targeted to the parks, but I guess a little bit the movies as well. Um, lightsaber color. What is or would be your lightsaber color? Pink, like a pinky purple. So I guess the kyber crystal would be the purple one, the purple but it gives one. that pinkish glow. Sure. Um, I like that classic blue uh, yeah. from Anakin's saber that you see in episode four, that sort of pale light blue. Yes. Excellent answers. Last one. This one is specific to the parks and it's very simple, highly controversial, um, but I think there's no wrong answers. Blue milk or green milk? Green milk. Neither. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I mean, if I had to pick one, I guess green, but I really don't enjoy either of them, to be honest. On Star Cruiser, they have unlimited blue and green milk. So you did a taste test and you did say green. Yeah, but like only if I have to pick one. I'll admit I'm a little bit in your camp, Danny. I like both of them, but I cannot drink an entire cup in one sitting. It's just a little too sweet for me and it's like drinking candy. So I I definitely get that. But I'm also team green where whenever I do a poll on Instagram, it's always blue that wins. And I don't know if it's because Mm -hmm. that's the classic color or if that's the most I think that is I think that is you're right it's that classic color and it's one of those things you know when they were making these movies blue milk is such a small detail that you know was not meant to be like a major Star Wars plot point but the fans latched onto it and it became this thing yeah Uh, and it's one of those little a lot of the things that we know and love about Star Wars especially the things that people like to geek out about are these really you know inconsequential details that took on a life of their own yeah yeah it's so true and it is such a small detail but i'm glad that you brought up the fact that you can get unlimited uh, amounts of milk on the on the halcyon so we're going to talk a little bit about that but let's start out first by talking about the media preview before we get into you know part of my goal today is talk going as far as the booking process and Mm -hmm. sort of the pre-arrival experience but For you as Star Wars fans, your first experience aboard the Halcyon was part of the media preview. So you had heard about the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, of course, through all the hype online, all the discussion, the preview footage. I'm sure you had your own expectations going in. So I'll start with your expectations. When you went to the media preview before, you know, as you're getting ready to, to, to board the Halcyon, what were your expectations going in? Well, so backing up to when Galaxy's Edge opened at Walt Disney World, I was at a media event for the opening of the land and Anne Morrow Johnson gave a presentation about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. I think that was the first time the name was publicly revealed and they didn't tell us everything. They didn't explain what it was going to be like. They just said, you know, something's coming. It's going to be a hotel, but it's not going to be a hotel like you're thinking. Um, And from that point on, I was very much like, I don't know what to expect. They open a new deluxe hotel at Disney World and you kind of go in with some preconceived notions. For Galactic Star Cruiser, I was expecting to walk in and say, wow, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. And that is, for me, that's what happened. It felt like I was literally walking onto a film set. Yeah, I agree with Steph. My expectations were extremely high. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as lifelong Star Wars fans, as avid Disney Park fans, you know, as people interested in the design and imagineering of these things like sky high expectations. I the the comparison to a movie set is good because it's richly detailed yeah. and it looks authentic like the films, but movie sets are usually designed to only look good on camera. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Star Cruiser is designed to look good wherever you go from whatever vantage point you wind up having. It's all really tactile. It's not like when you go on a film set or a theater set and you're like, oh, this wall is hollow <laughs> or, oh, those books are fake. Everything is so real. You want to touch everything, feel all the textures. Um, the lighting everywhere looks amazing. And they change the lighting in the different rooms, in the atrium, in the sublight lounge. Um, 
bit depending on what's happening in the storyline at the moment. So as soon as we walked in, it was this bright, white, glowing atrium, and it was totally like being transported somewhere else. It, yeah, to really illustrate this point, uh, I literally tripped over uh, some of the seating in the atrium because <laughs> I was so busy, like bug-eyed, staring all around uh, uh, trying to, you know, take it all in. I walked straight into there's these lovely sort of bench banquette seating uh, in the atrium. I walked straight into one of them. Yep, it happened. I mean, that definitely is a testament to the, like you said, the Im- just impressive nature of walking in there. And, uh, you know, I agree, obviously, movie sets are intended to only look good on camera. And this is, it also sort of the same thing, but your eyes are the camera. So yeah, everything yes. is supposed to look a certain way when you're looking at it. Yeah. I mean, the movie analogy is apt because, you know, it feels like you have stepped into the worlds we're used to seeing on screen. Uh, and in terms of that sense, you know, calling it like a movie set is very true. But if you've ever been on set or work in anything related to the industry, you know that these things are designed to photograph for the camera, mm-hmm. that not necessarily to be lived in. Uh, and what's so amazing about Star Cruiser is that they did take the time to make it a place that can be lived in that has that cinematic feel. Something else is I didn't encounter a single corner on the ship where I was like, oh, they really cheaped out here. They didn't think anyone would look behind this cargo in the cargo bay. Mm -hmm. And like they didn't finish painting the wall. No, there's like stamps on the back of the cargo that you wouldn't see unless you crawled behind it. And like, it's just amazing. The attention to detail. That's awesome. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about each part of this. And I love the fact that the details are there because when we talk about immersion, it's a very uh, almost overused word. Everything is immersive these days in a theme park environment, so at least phrased that way. So when you have a truly immersive environment, it like this one, it it shows. So I'm, I'm excited to chat a little bit about that. Before we get to the... Uh, I'm glad to get sort of your first impressions walking in on that media preview. But let's now sort of turn gears to, as a normal guest, anyone who's not a part of a media preview, which is going to be 99.9% of those who do this experience. um, The first part of the process is booking the experience. Mm -hmm. And I know for this experience, it's a little different than just going online and looking for available resorts and picking your resorts and your dates and your room type. So what was the booking experience like for Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser? So it took a long time. And to be fair, we were booking uh, the very first day that we could as annual pass holders. There were some days that you could book before it was open to general public. So we actually ended up being on the phone for about eight hours to uh, try to get through to book it. Wow! Um, But once we got through, the process was uh, quite easy. What's really different from a normal Disney World trip is that you cannot look at, you can find the dates the departure dates. It's every two days, right? Um, But they don't tell you the prices and the price changes by departure dates. So you can't look up and be like, ooh, this one week is way cheaper or way more expensive. I want to pick that one or avoid that one. You really need to call in and have multiple dates available that you're available to travel. And also know if you want certain things, if you want a certain type of cabin, if you want to get captain's table, are those priorities over your dates? So for me, I really wanted to be there for Dan. Annie's birthday as a special treat and um, captain's table wasn't available. So I said, no, uh, the room that I want is available. The date that I want is available. I'll call back when um, I'll, you, you put down a deposit, then you have to pay in full 90 days out. So I was like, I'll call it 89 days and see if anyone canceled. And we were lucky to get captain's table. Um, but when you call through, there's a pre-vetting process. So we were on the phone, I don't know, four or five hours. And then we got through and they were like, okay, well, we want to make sure that you know how much it's going to cost. And you know that you're not actually going to space. And do, do you really have some dates? Clarify, they really clarified that we understood 
this does not actually leave Earth's orbit. And, and, and I think part of that is like the popularity of people um, like well, space, Bezos going to yeah, space right space, now. People space might think tourism, that's a thing. Space tourism is maybe going to be a thing in our lives. I mean, there yeah. are certainly people trying to make that a reality. Yeah. Uh, so they get through all of that. They make sure you understand that it's going to be interactive. It's not just a hotel. Um, and then once you've kind of cleared their process, they're like, oh, you're very well informed. I'll put you through to actually book with an agent. And then we were on the phone for some more hours and uh, talked to a really nice agent who's all in universe, um, you know, using Star Wars terminology and greeting us with bright suns and all of that kind of stuff. So it was pretty fun. That's exciting. That's great that they have that step in the process. I guess the way that they communicated this and also, Danny, to your point, the fact that space tourism is very likely going to be a more available option for mm-hmm. tourists in the future, not so distant future. It's good that they clarify those things and make sure that you're aware of all those steps. And then once you do get past those, yes, I fully understand what this is, then they immerse you right away into the language that's used and yeah it's um, really you know the the extra details is what goes you know to your point about immersive and that's a word that gets thrown around this really does embody it because even when you're booking when you're talking to that disney booking agent they are in universe they are using the terminology you know they are uh, referring to you know they don't refer to your visit to disney world they refer to you going to the spaceport to board the star cruiser for your journey like and that is true all the way to after you leave the ship when you get your guest folio it doesn't have the disney world logo in the top corner it has the chandrilla Starline logo in the top corner that's amazing yeah, yeah. that's that's detail oriented yeah. for sure and I, I, you know, part of the communications I also wanted to talk about because when you take a trip to Walt Disney World, mm-hmm. you receive emails about your upcoming trip. Mm-hmm. If you have a certain level of your concierge level, sometimes you get a phone call prior to your trip as well. Mm-hmm. What was the experience like for pre-arrival before you even left for your trip? What sort of communications were a part of the experience? So we didn't really get any communications. We could see in our Play Disney Parks app um, and in our My Disney Experience app, we could see that we had reservations, they were linked, um, that we had dinner at a certain time. If we had booked something like Sabi's Workshop or Oga's Cantina. You actually have to do that through your Star Cruiser agent so that it's built into your itinerary so you don't miss other activities that they plan for you, um, which we didn't have. So we didn't get any of those. I do think that that's a byproduct, though, of us being in Canada, not getting the emails. Apparently, there are emails that go out that are like little video messages and things to get you hyped up. We actually don't get any communications, even annual pass holder communications, because of some of the um, regulations around email spam and things in our country. We've never been able to get a clear answer from Disney about this, but there are just because we live in Canada, uh, everything from paper mail to even email communications, it's just not quite the same. But 30 days out from your trip, your itinerary starts to fill in on the Play Disney Parks app. You can go in um, and there is that data pad area in Play Disney Parks that you can play on Batu, but there's a whole separate one for Star Cruiser. So even more than 30 days in advance, you can go in and learn to use um, like the translator function and some of the other things. You can you can learn some facts about the ship. You can there's see a little a bit of uh, vocabulary and like mm-hmm. common phrases, which are different than like, you know, on Batu yeah. they say bright suns. Uh, on the Halcyon, they say best journey. Yeah, and Tabuite uh, and yeah. some of those. So it teaches you those things. 30 days out, you start to see your itinerary fill in. It's like you're going to arrive during this window and your dinner is here. Your lightsaber training is over here. And then there are some other activities. Some are real activities. Some are activities that may not actually happen or they might happen but be distractions for other things happening in the storyline yes we were speculating as our itinerary started to populate so bear in mind this is before anyone had done any cruises no medias no public cruises nothing 30 days in advance because we flew on a very early 
uh, journey. And so we're looking at our itinerary, you know, and it's saying uh, there's a, a Sabak tournament and I'm going, I bet you it's not a Sabak tournament. I bet it's just an excuse to get the guests into one part of the ship for some sort of a story element. There is a Sabak tournament and it is a reason to get people in one part of the ship <laughs> yes, for a story I was, element. I was only half correct. Like Steph says, there's a lot of these things on your itinerary. There's um, a sector set, which is sort of the Halcyon version of Bing Know your co-pilot. Which is kind of like uh, the, what do they call it? The dating game? The newlywed game? Those things are real and they do happen on the ship and you can participate in them, but they often serve as distractions for other bits of story element that is happening in the background. That's very cool. I... Um, and it's a brilliant way to design the itinerary as well and making sure people arrive at certain points mm-hmm. or in certain places that element story elements can happen. Before we get to those story elements, let's talk about the arrival itself. Yeah. You've been looking forward to this trip. You yeah. fly to Orlando. Yeah. What was the arrival experience like on the Halcyon? Honestly, this is the only part of the experience we were less than blown away by. Arrival and departure. Arrival and departure. Um, It was a little more complicated for us because we were arriving via rideshare. If you're driving your own vehicle, some of the difficulties we experienced would not be an issue for you. Yeah. Um, So the good, I'll start off with the good. Um, we were already staying on property at Walt Disney. We were staying at Art of Animation the night before because we wanted to make sure we arrived and, you know, no trouble at the airport, etc. Uh, we got a wonderful in-room, in-universe mm. message on the phone welcoming us as Halcyon cruisers. Um, and, you know, they let us know that transportation would be provided complimentary from our hotel to the spaceport. Just to go uh, ask at Bell Services the next morning and they would send us on our way. Yeah. And again, like I said, that voicemail, totally in universe, all the right lingo. They also extended our checkout automatically to noon so that we could stay in our room, get ready in our costumes and everything, and then just get a car at noon and head over. Yeah. They don't let you actually board the Star Cruiser until 1 p.m. Uh, because they need time for the previous voyage to actually depart and get their cars and leave. And then there's a quick turnaround. Just Um, a clarifying question. Did you book this, the Art of Animation, when you also booked the Galactic Star Cruiser? No, we booked it separately. Okay. So so on the back end, this was linked automatically. There was nothing. Yeah, Yeah, we didn't do anything special to make it happen. That's amazing. That's very smart. Um, so then, you know, so they, they called the taxi for us. The taxi was comped um, and we showed up right around 1230 is when we hit the gates mm-hmm. uh, for our one o'clock entry time. Um, and again, the immersion right from the security checkpoint, you know, and it's like when you go to any Disney resort and they scan your magic band or you checking in all of those questions. Uh, the security guard, you know, was asking because uh, there are some special rules, you know, even though it's Star Wars, you can't bring blasters um, you can bring lightsabers, but there's some regulations about where and when you can have them. And so, you know, the guy is asking us questions. Do you have sharp objects, anything that might be considered a weapon? Uh, Steph had a porg, a stuffed porg, and he noticed the porg and he like right in universe. But this is just like this is the guy in the Disney security, you know, in the booth at the gate. But he's totally in on it and he's playing along and it's wonderful. Yeah. So then we pull, then when you get through security, you pull up and there's this very, I will call it retro futuristic uh, port cochere. It looks like something out of the Jetsons maybe. Yeah. And you've like, you've seen it. Your, your uh, listeners have seen this. All the media took photos in front of this wall that says Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. I didn't see a single normal guest take a photo there. No, that's true. When we went on media day, everybody, like everyone was scrambling, you know, forget the purple wall, getting a photo with this Galactic Star Cruiser logo, that was the number one thing. On check-in day, a couple of the guests did. Mm-hmm. You know, most people were just kind of waiting. They do just sort of, they put you in a queue uh, right away when you get there because they don't open the doors till 1 p.m. They whisk away your luggage, which was in our cabin by the time we got in our cabin, complete with Chandrilla Starline Bell Services tags. They give you your magic band, which is a white and gold magic band. You can actually buy a black or gray version also. I don't know if it 
You can also buy a black or gray version if that's what you want, but this is the one that all guests get. And they call them M-bands on board. Um, They're also not just like, they don't just have a bucket of these magic bands. Like this one has my name on it. When we checked in, you know, and told them who we were, they disappeared into the back and brought out Steph and Danny magic bands, not just like, here's a random uh, uh, Halcyon yeah. band. And then we got in a queue just like at the theme park. And then a few guests at a time were uh, admitted. You go through another security um, check. So your bags actually get taken backstage. They get scanned just like they would at the airport and to make sure that you're not bringing in anything that's contraband. And then you get scanned. Any bags that you have on your person get scanned through metal detectors and everything. Then you go down this long hallway this long concrete hallway towards a glowing chandrilla starline logo and then a few guests at a time are put into this little vestibule where you watch a safety video just like it's going to be a ride yeah uh um i will say the so there's waiting at every point in this you wait in a queue outdoors uh to get your magic band you then wait in a queue to tap in your magic band then because most people arrive in costumes and sometimes the costumes are, you know, they have armor and face masks and all kinds of stuff. It's a little bit of a process because you go through uh, like a theme park style, you go through the scanners. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot more taking off costume elements and opening up pouches and like it, it's not very fast. And, you know, depending on, they try to do it party by party to not split people up. But if you're behind a party of people in full Mandalorian armor, they're going to take wait. a while to get through the thing. Um, then, like Steph says, you go, there's an orientation video. It's very much like the videos you've watched before, Soren or Flight of Passage or whatever. It And that's the last cue that you're like leaving Earth and yeah. that you're and after this point, everything is in universe. You will not hear the term Star Wars. You will not um, hear the term cast member. Everything will, it's like going into a play. Yeah. Um, and everyone's playing along the, the, the cast members are playing along the guests are playing along and it's so much fun but i think the safety video is really important because there are dramatic events and events that might feel dangerous on board but the video explains when you'll know if you're actually in danger or not and what to do if something were to happen yeah very much like a traditional cruise muster drill yeah exactly it's very much like that um and they show you on this video uh you know you'll have sort of red flashing lights and alarm bells those are emergencies in universe that are part of the story and then they will have this totally different everything all the mood lighting turns off regular bright white light comes on and it's a totally different message saying you know this is a real emergency this is not part of the story yeah. uh etc and yeah, like Steph says, that's the last bit of you are on Earth on a vacation. Uh, from that point on, you get into the launch pod and then it's full on. Congratulations. You now live in the Star Wars universe. Uh, let's go have an adventure. The I, I like the idea of all the safety checks, to be honest, mm-hmm. although it is a bit of a hassle. I find much like if you were to do the Disney Cruise Line yeah. or go into your point, go into a theme park. I've never really minded no. all those steps in the beginning no. and it it really does Disney's always put safety first and it's yeah. great to know that once you uh board that transport that you feel safe and secure and you can now focus on having fun. Absolutely. Yeah. What I will say is that so you know we arrived at 12:30 and I would guess we were between 80 and 100 people back in the queue to board. Uh, there are reports, you know, so we probably took us maybe 45 minutes to get through that queue and into the launch pod uh, to begin the adventure. Some people have reported waiting, you know, over an hour, closer to two hours. Uh, my issue with the boarding process is that so we were in March, the weather was perfectly pleasant, but it's just an outdoor concrete. You know, there's no seating. Uh, there's, you know, no air conditioning. Uh, I can just bathrooms, water, all that kind of stuff, you know, for billing star cruiser as this luxury, uh, amenity, 
that initial boarding does not feel luxury. I wish they had a holding area, kind of like when you take a cruise from Port Canaveral and you have this beautiful atrium, you can get all signed up and then you sit down, chill out until they call your number. That would be great. Yeah. Hopefully they'll take a lot of this feedback. I feel like they will and yeah. enhance this is a lot of these pain points. This is new and they're yeah, going to so learn we, so much in this first year. When we did our, our full experience for my birthday in March, I believe we were only the 10th or maybe 11th the 11th. Cruise. Yeah, the 11th departure. Um, you know, they're going to figure these things out for all the testing that they do. You know, you do testing in secret with internal team members who already sort of know uh, these things. You know, there, there's information you can't know until you actually have the public go through it. Yeah. It's true. That's I'm glad you had that early experience. And the more feedback they get, of course, the better they will also make this experience. So overall, it sounds like while there are a couple of points that could be improved with the arrival experience, it's still once you get through that, which doesn't sound like it takes more than an hour of your time, yeah. it really is. And it uh, could be less depending on when you arrive, depending on all the other travelers on your voyage, if they all arrive at different times later, earlier. Um, but that's right. a very the, small uh, beef out of the whole experience. It's true. And it's really my biggest nitpick with the experience. Our difficulties were a little more heightened on departure. Like I mentioned, we arrived via rideshare um, and it's complicated to arrange the pickup. If you're coming in your own vehicle, it's valet parking. You know, it's very straightforward. You, you know, give your ticket to the valet. They bring your car around. The cast member loads up your luggage, hands you the keys. Thank you very much. You're on your way. Simple, straightforward. If you're trying to get a taxi or a ride share, uh, again, you know, there's not really a good waiting place uh, because of the way the parking lot is designed. They can't have these vehicles uh, queued up and waiting for guests. They've got to call them in one at mm-hmm. a time. It, it just it, it, it takes a it yeah. takes a little while. That's fair. Now let's get to the fun stuff. We've spoken yeah. about. Yeah. I, I mean, this was definitely fun to talk about as well. Yeah. But it was all about the arrival experience. Essentially, thirty minutes discussing booking, arrival, yeah. expectations, all that. Now you're aboard the Halcyon. What does the first, let's say, hour of your experience look like? Because I'm sure that there's more yeah. people who are behind you who are also boarding yeah. the ship. So what what does that first hour or so of your first day look so like? Right away after the safety video, you get into a launch pod, uh, which takes you up into space. And that's where you dock with the Halcyon and then you the doors open and you're in the atrium. This is very cool. There's windows so you can see. You can see the trees and the sunshine. And then you can see yourself kind of doing a little hyperspace jump. You see the Halcyon in the distance, that very distinctive silhouette of the ship. And you actually see um, little loading, I don't know if they're droids, but like little loading equipment that come grab you and attach you to the ship. So it all feels like, whoa, this is actually happening. There's there's some like tactile stuff going on. It's a on. little reminiscent of the elevator experience to go to Space 220 if you've dined uh, at that restaurant. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then uh, right away, you know, the luxury experience, it kicks in right away. There are so many staff, uh, the Halcyon crew members. I don't know the exact ratio, but when you get off the launch pod, there is a line of the staff waiting to greet you and one staff member per party. And the very first thing they do is right away take you to your stateroom uh, so they can sort of get you settled in, get you oriented. Uh, Your stateroom is a little different than a standard hotel room. And there's a few like features and stuff that they want to go over. They also want to verify that your M band, your magic band is working properly because that is uh, essential uh, to tracking your progress through the gameplay. They also let you know about ship tours that are happening, data pad orientation, if you need that and answer any questions that you might have right off the bat. Um, And they clear, like Danny said, they clarify some things about your room. There's a viewport where you can see out into space, but you can close that at night if you want. Um, There's some special amenities in the bathroom. They clarify you're allowed to take those home with you, which is really nice because uh, you might not know. It kind of looks like it belongs in the room. There's this tin uh, that's got a, a Halcyon logo, 
And inside the tin are bath products that are made by H2O Plus. So it's, you know, the company that you're used to at Disney, but all the packaging has been updated mm-hmm. to be in-universe for the Halcyon. It's all got the, the Chandrilla Starline logo on it. Even the instructions on the back, I don't know if the camera will, will get it, but there's a little face model on the back and she's got Leku. She's got she's the, the head pieces. Yeah. So they clarify everything, and then they introduce you to D-309, who's the logistics droid of the ship, and you have a comms link in your room where you can see her on video. She's very clear. She can't see you on video. She can only hear you. Um, But you get to know D-309, and D-3 then tells you, you know, you got to go to muster drill. Why don't you go get some lunch? And she kind of begins your journey in that way. D3, uh, it's worth noting, so these aren't just canned responses. She is a computer-powered, you know, similar to... uh, She's powered by Alexa, by Google. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, Alexa's by Amazon. Oh. Hello, Google is by Google. I don't know. Is it Amazon? It is Amazon, not Google. If you remember, uh, during the 50th announcements for all the celebrations at Walt Disney, they talked about adding an AI-powered... assistant to some of the hotel rooms, that same backbone technology is what's at play here with D309. Uh, And you can, like, you can go off script, you can ask questions, you can say whatever, and it's a a computer-generated response algorithm. There will be times she'll leave a little, um, like, a flashing flashing light to let you know she has a message that she needs to talk to you about, but other times you can just tap your M-band and see if she's around, and we did that Every chance that we got, we used to go uh, back to our cabin in between activities to see if we could talk to her to further our story. And we got to do some pretty cool interactions. Yeah, she does. Like she has secrets. She knows things about other passengers on the ship. She knows historical details uh, about the journey or about the planets you're going to. And it's all relevant to how you're playing the game. And she'll do nice things like sing you a lullaby at night. Yes, it's very, it's very cute. That's so awesome. I'm sure it is probably powered by Alexa because I know that Disney is also partnering with Amazon to create the Hello Disney uh, Alexa devices as well that are going to be in the Walt Disney World hotel rooms. So it's I I have seen some video footage of everything that you're mentioning, and it's great to know that it's not just it's hard to tell sometimes with video that it's not just the canned responses, but it is like speaking to a real um artificial intelligence yeah. uh, assistant because that it makes a big difference and yeah. it doesn't come easy to make something like that. No, uh, it, what's remarkable about it too is that you form an emotional connection with D3. Oh. Like she is part of the story. Um, and I mean, I guess we didn't really, there's going to be spoilers in this conversation. There's yeah. no way to avoid it. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. This is a spoiler filled episode. Spoiler filled zone. But Everyone you know, has fair warning. There, there's a part of the story. So the first order comes, they suspect there's rebel activity uh, or resistance activity aboard the Halcyon. Uh, and so, you know, this battalion of stormtroopers arrives and Lieutenant Croy, who's their commander, uh, and they, throughout your journey, as the story progresses, they take over control of the ship, including a point in the story where they try to deactivate D-309. And, like, it's it's emotional. You're concerned. She has become your companion, and she's been helpful to you. And then all of a sudden, these stormtroopers are going to, you know, bust down the door and deactivate her. And, like, you're emotionally invested, but this is just an Alexa robot, you know? Um, I don't feel that way about the one in my kitchen, no. but I did feel that way about the one in this hotel room. On the morning that we left, she told me that I was her best friend and I cried. Oh. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we we form emotional connections with our R5 droid on Star Wars Rise of the Resistance, and yeah. we're only on that experience for four and a half minutes. So. Yeah. I can only imagine, and it's not as interactive as this. So yeah. if you're really, yeah. she's she's in your stateroom. So yeah. that, you know, while it's, she's in everybody else's stateroom too, it definitely, I can see how she almost becomes part of the family while you're, while you're yeah. aboard the ship. Yeah. 
so after you've got your tour of the stateroom and you're introduced to D309, then it's sort of open time for a couple of hours. Uh, the lunch buffet is happening in the dining room, which is called Crown of Corellia. You can uh, you explore can, the ship. Yeah, you can explore the ship. Some parts are more open than others. You can uh, see the crew members for a data pad orientation. There is like a formal ship tour if you want to go on that, but you're also just free to roam poke your head around, you know, see what you can do. There's these uh, computer consoles throughout the ship and you go and you tap your M band on them. And at first they all just say, you know, access restricted crew member only. Uh, But the more you interface with these terminals, the more parts of the ship you go to, the more buttons you start pushing and poking, uh, you, you open up a larger realm of access. Uh, uh, So, you know, in our case, first we had to eat, uh, we had to document the food uh, for for, <laughs> for the, the magazine, magazine and for our friends. So that took a while. Uh, <laughs> so straight to the dining room for us. Uh, and then after the dining room, uh, we start exploring the ship. That's great. Let's take a tangent to talking about food before we continue with the itinerary. How was the food on the ship? What were the options that were there? And can you talk a little bit more about the the built-in time with dining and anything Mm -hmm. else you can share when it comes to dining on the Halcyon? I was so impressed with the food on the ship. Danny and I are both big foodies. Danny writes our dining column. um, And what I'll say is it's probably the most creative food I've ever uh, seen and tasted in my life. Nothing is too crazy. It's very familiar flavors, but it's a lot of different colors. So like if you have cauliflower, it might not just be white cauliflower. It might be all the colors of cauliflower that you could ever imagine. Um, and different combinations of things like pizza that has like tikka masala chicken on top of it, basically. But you don't really ever know what you're eating because it doesn't say this is a chicken pizza. It says this is a tip yip flatbread. So if you know some of these Star Wars words like tip yip is chicken, bantha is beef, red fruit is tomato, uh, you can kind of start to piece things together. But it's really very um, sensory and very exploratory um, for your taste buds. Disney's not going to leave like lead you astray. They're not going to give you anything too weird. These are foods you've eaten before, presented in totally different ways, maybe paired with different unexpected ingredients. Maybe you think something's lemon, but it's actually yuzu, so it's a little bit different than you were than you were initially expecting. Um, it's, it's beautiful yeah. and it's uh, ambitious. It is ambitious and, you know, they take a lot of big swings and not everything connects, but on the whole, it's very good. Uh, In classic Disney fashion, if you need to be accommodated for allergies or other dietary concerns, they're totally prepared for that. Speak to your server. They'll get you in touch with the chef. Or it's those first fo- uh, during the first three hours on the ship, you can go talk to the hostess or the host yeah. who's at the restaurant. They'll bring a chef out to speak to you directly, and that way everything will be taken care of for your cruise. Yeah. Uh, so breakfast and dinner throughout the thing are breakfast and lunch. Breakfast and lunch, excuse me. Breakfast and lunch are uh, self serve. Um, and they, they were described to us. So we had the opportunity during the media event to interview the executive chef. Uh, he described it as a tapas style uh, food presentation. So everything is in these little individual sort of ramekins. There are square ones and longer rectangular ones. And then you get this really cool tray with slots. And it's kind of like playing Tetris. You can fit delicious Tetris. Yeah. Like for every square, uh, like two squares makes a rectangle. And then, so you have, I think there's room for six items on the plate. Or three, if you take some of the bigger items. Yeah. And so you make these trays and you organize your, your little tapas and you can go back as much as you like just like any cruise ship and the same applies to dinner which is a plated uh, served meal if you want seconds just ask for seconds they're happy to bring it and even if you don't have an allergy or a dietary restriction there's always a chef around so you're like 
what is in this salad? Am I am I scared of this salad? What's in this sandwich? I don't understand. They'll talk to you and tell you what it might be called on your home planet so that you can feel a little bit more comfortable. But that was the fun of it. Yeah, like one of my favorites. So the appetizer for dinner night one. Dinner is seated on both nights and it's two totally different menus. Yeah, but so one of my favorite things of the whole cruise, the appetizer round for dinner night one are these bao buns, these steamed buns with different fillings. They're brightly colored. Uh, You get a vegetable, a chicken, and a beef one. And the way they do the presentation is, you know, it's all in universe. They they do call them bao buns, which I guess is borrowing a, a word we already know. Uh, but, you know, they come to your table and they say, you know, this is flora, this is tipyip, and this is bantha, or as you might say on your home planet, vegetable, chicken, and beef. Uh, and so, you know, they, they, they give you an assist to help understand the menu, um, but they do. And like, if you read the menu descriptions, it's all tip yip this and red fruit that. And, you know, it, even the menus try to be in universe. Yeah. Um, something that they use a lot is, I'm not sure if it's pronounced yogan fruit or jogan fruit, but almost every dessert has yogan fruit in it. And uh, I think is like a passion fruit. It, it's like I looked, sweet and I, tart. I've been researching this quite a bit. It's actually like, a blend of berries and tropical flavors. Yeah. But it's very good. Um, So, yeah, so breakfast and lunch, help yourself. Uh, And there is some overlap between day one and day two, but there are some items that are only available, you know, for like breakfast on departure day is the only time you will see there's a scotch egg. They call it a meteor egg. It's one of the tastiest things on the whole uh, sailing. It's only available at breakfast on departure day. Both of the dinners are multiple courses. So even if you don't love something, something else is coming and, um, they're really fabulous. They're very adventurous. On the second night, all of the dishes are inspired by different planets. So you get a little bit of a story about the planet that it's coming. Like this is the Mustafarian bread service. So there's like this black charcoal bread and this like bright, fiery looking like whipped pimento cheese, basically. And the first night you actually have entertainment by uh, galactic superstar Gaia, who's amazing. And it's not just the food. In both of these cases, there's entertainment elements elements happening all around and some are really obvious like Gaia singing and some are not like Wraith is doing Wraith Cole who's Gaia's manager he's like off in the corner making a deal with someone or perhaps a Wookiee is being snuck through the dining room while a dance party is happening there's we we sort of alluded to this before where there are parts of your itinerary that are part of the story and official activities but they're cover for story elements so Dinner night one, Gaia is your performer, and she's great. They bring the house down. You know, there's a mix of like power power ballads and sort of. I wish love we could songs. buy her CD. I've been. I'm surprised it's not available. Like I was looking on Apple Music and stuff to see if it's out there. They're great. Do people still buy CDs? I don't know. Maybe. I wish I, I could download it on iTunes. <laughs> there you go. I was in the gift <laughs> shop. Like I would have brought home a Gaia CD yeah. for sure. Um, so one of her songs is this sort of like very dancey, poppy, uh, number, and it has a a dance move to it. Uh, and the crew will teach you the dance move. And there's a point during dinner where they get the whole dining room up to do the dance while she's singing the song and you're totally invested in it. And it's super fun. If you pay attention around the perimeter of the dining room, you will see that the dance is actually a distraction because we are smuggling Chewbacca on board the ship, who's key to our resistance plot, and we're all dancing so the stormtroopers don't see Chewbacca crouch down as much as a giant Wookiee can can crouch, sneak in through the dining room. To go hide in the kitchen, yeah. And, like, you might miss this entirely. You might be so enraptured with the Gaia performance or with, you know, eating your dinner or whatever, you might not realize. Or if you're, you know, sitting off to the side, they might sort of tell you to come in, come in. We need to make a little human wall so the stormtroopers can't see as we bring Chewie uh, into his hiding spot. 
just like a normal cruise, there's so much food that you will never go hungry. But if all of those meals are not enough, there's always these cute little snacks up in the atrium, cookies, Parmesan crisps, popcorn, all sorts of different things. On the last night, there's a sweets and treats buffet. It's Mm -hmm. not quite at midnight, but it's like a midnight dessert buffet like you might get on a normal cruise. And the Sublight Lounge has food items. You do have to pay for cocktails and mocktails. You don't have to pay for sodas, coffees, that sort of thing. And you don't have to pay for food. And the food is so good at Sublight Lounge. Yeah. Um, Sublight Lounge, honestly, like Sublight Lounge, better than Oga's for sure. No contest. Uh, everything from the menu to the theming, the ambiance. I would pick Sublight Lounge any day of the week. They'll bring you out this beautiful, like three little cheese balls that have all sorts of like pistachios and other weird things mixed into them. Inside a smoking cloche, they bring it to your table and they take it off and all this smoke comes out, spreads throughout the lounge and everyone looks and says, please bring me one of those. (laughs) It's so much fun. It's true. Uh, the cocktails are great. Unlike Oga's, where the drinks are pre-mixed, they are actually making drinks to order at Sublight Lounge. Um, in general, I found the drinks to be a little more sophisticated. I find some of the drinks at Oga's run a little sweet, at least to my palate. Um, not the case at Sublight Lounge. The food menu is excellent. You can get, they call them little flatbreads. They're individual pizzas. Um, honestly, the pizza on Star Cruiser might be the best pizza at WDW. They do have a wood-fired oven on board. Yeah. So, like, they've wow. got a proper oven, and they're making everything to order. They're little individual size pizzas. So, like, nothing's sitting around. Nothing's, you know. Uh, and it's really good crust, and it's really interesting toppings. But while the food is very adventurous, these are things that you've had. There's steak. There's chicken, there's pizza, there's mac and cheese, there's chicken nuggets, there's salad. Like, everyone's going to find something that they want. It's true. It does get more adventurous than those items. You know, there's uh, kale porridge and all kinds of different seafood. And, um, uh, well, they called it kimchi, but I didn't find it very spicy. But, you know, like, there's there's interesting things. Um I do want to talk about the blue shrimp, oh, which yes. is something that sort of set the internet on fire when the I've pictures. Seen. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, here's here is what you need to know about the blue shrimp. Uh, they use something called pea flower, butterfly, butterfly pea, pea flower. That's what it, it, is. it is. A flower. The flower itself is a butterfly pea. Yes, uh, it's totally natural, um, and that's what gives it the blue color. Uh, It imparts no flavor. Uh, It's just this natural flour that is powderized and the the way they cook the shrimp in it is what turns them blue. They look so alien and so wild and they serve it to you in this in this vessel that's got like a little bit of dry ice Mm -hmm. so it's kind of you know smoky and there's a little seaweed salad that's got all these weird like leafy frizzy like a little uh, bit of cocktail sauce that it's it's not quite a jello but it's thicker and more gelatinous than a typical cocktail sauce but so presentation like 12 out of 10 it looks so alien so cool so crazy take a bite pick it up dip it in the cocktail sauce tastes exactly like a classic shrimp cocktail which i love i think that's delicious um, so, but if you don't like shrimp cocktail, maybe not the dish for you. Yes. Yeah. Jeff Bryan told us it took them six months to figure out exactly how they were going to accomplish this shrimp. And he says that there is no dish that they've created for Star Wars that, or for Star Galactic Star Cruiser that is more indicative of the home planet that it's supposed to be from. And those special vessels that they serve it on were, were, were um, custom created for the Star Cruiser from somewhere in Spain that they uh, had to find to make this very special shrimp cocktail plate. Yeah. Like, it's really great. I know people had a visceral reaction and they were like, I'm not touching that or I'm not like, it's so like of all the dishes, I think that one really captures the storytelling uh, and the immersive, the way they can make dining part of the Star Wars experience. Yeah. 
Uh, and then at the end of the day, it tastes like a shrimp cocktail. So do you enjoy shrimp cocktail? You'll enjoy it on Star Cruiser. Good to know. There's so much to talk about with food. And it sounds like no matter what your palate is, you can find something on the ship. And it's adventurous, but familiar at yeah. the same time. And all ties back to story. I definitely want to talk about story, sort of pivoting to go mm-hmm. back to the storytelling elements. There is... I know a big overarching story that connects all the events. And with that, we close out episode 132 and part one of our discussion all about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. As I teased out at the beginning of this episode, definitely stay tuned for part two because we talk in greater detail about the storytelling elements of Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, about the characters that are involved. We talk about the adventure that you take to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, about the merchandise, about Departure Day, and some final thoughts regarding who would best benefit from taking this two-night adventure and why you should consider making a reservation for Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. I want to turn this conversation over to you, though, and get some of your thoughts about our discussion so far about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser and maybe perhaps some of the questions that you would ask Steph and Danny and some other guests who have partaken in this adventure. You can send me your answers and feedback, as always, in so many different ways. You can follow Imagine Your Podcast on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Imagine Your Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Imagine Your News. And I would definitely encourage you to look into our Facebook group. If you have a Facebook account, just go search for Imagine Your Podcast under groups. We're called the Imagination also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community. I've been investing a lot more time into this community, so you'll find engaging discussions about things like Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser and many other fun Disney conversations where you can chat with me and other members of this listener community. If you don't already subscribe to Imagineer Podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button so that you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And you have a new place to enjoy Imagineer Podcast. I have a YouTube channel that has been active or been around, I should say, and inactive for a few years now. But I am finally listening to so many of you. You have been asking for YouTube videos. I've been trying to find a way to make it possible. And this is the first official Imagine Your Podcast episode that you can enjoy on YouTube, where you can not just listen to my discussion, but also watch the discussion and see some of the merchandise that Steph and Danny have to share some of those elements they were discussing in this podcast episode. Just head to youtube.com slash Imagineer podcast. Make sure to subscribe there because I've got more video content coming and we'll be doing anything I possibly can as much as I can to build out our YouTube experience. I'll go back to the podcast for a second. If you don't already rate and review the show, or if you haven't taken the chance to do so in Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, please go ahead and leave us a review because it really helps this community out. In either community or both communities, I do read each and every review that I get, and it helps others discover the show and learn what to expect when they hit play or hit subscribe on an Imagineer podcast episode. And if you want to take your love of Imagineer podcast to the next level, definitely take a look at our Patreon group over at patreon.com slash Imagineer podcast. Just because this this uh, post roll is going a little longer than usual, I'll spare you the details, but just say it's a great way to support the show and you get lots of bonus content, bonus episodes, and so much more. So head to patreon.com slash podcast to learn more. And if you're ready to book a vacation to Walt Disney World, including Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, and you don't want to wait on hold, or if you're going to Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line or any other Disney destination, look into our travel partner, Magical Park Vacations. They can help to plan out all those details for you, work within your budget. They'll wait on hold for you. They'll make the reservations. And best of all, if there's a discount that becomes available, they can apply that discount retroactively so you don't even have to worry about it or have to worry about keeping an eye on what discounts are available. They do it automatically. 
and their services are complimentary at no additional cost to you. What you would pay to Disney directly is exactly what you pay by going through Magical Park Vacations. And if you want a little bit of an extra personal touch, you can work with WW Park Planners, which is their partner, their sister company, where they can help to plan out a personalized itinerary offer in vac- on vacation support so while you're on your vacation you can ask them questions directly and they can help you to navigate the parks and provide assistance they can help book dining reservations and really if you want to have a strong professional um, who knows Disney and knows how to design and craft a really perfect Disney vacation they can help to make those specific plans for you and provide a real level of concierge service you can learn more about both these companies by going to magicalparkvacations.com and wdwparkplanners.com I've got links to both those places in the show notes below Last but not least, I want to encourage you, as always, to go after your hopes, your dreams, your goals, whatever they might be. Don't delay in making your dreams a reality. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Gunners to defend the shipments, and that is where you come in.